listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back with you. I had a good time on my trip uh, last week, but I did miss not being here with you all. Um, We continue our Epiphany series, Beyond Belief, as we look at these passages of Scripture that Donnie read for us. Interesting passages, right? This this idea that God has set before us kind of life and death, that um, we have um, choices to make and that our choices have consequences, and uh, we need to take those seriously. And then as we move forward, then we find Jesus kind of quoting to us words of Moses, but then then modifying them, right? Kind of going beyond them. Uh, Not necessarily um, uh, dismissing them, but definitely treating them more more foundationally than uh, sometimes I think we think. And he's kind of of going on to something something new. We've titled the sermon today, Improv, because there's this way in which I think we sometimes misunderstand what the scriptures are. We either treat the scriptures like a history book, and sure enough, there is some history there, but that's not primarily what it is. And I realize I say this in front of my friend Zach Tackett, who has a PhD in church history, right? Sometimes we treat it as a a literature book, and certainly there is lots of literature there. There's poetry, there's there's narratives, there's song lyrics, and and I realize I also say this in front of my dear friend Ricky Cotton, who is a literature professor. Um, But ultimately, Scripture is not primarily history. It's not primarily literature. And it's certainly not uh, a science textbook. What we have is also, believe it or not, not an instruction book, right? Scripture is not like the little pamphlet you get at Ikea about how to put together your bookshelf. (laughs) Scripture is the Word of God. Scripture must be uh, interpreted. Scripture must be rightly divided, Paul says to Timothy. Scripture needs to be utilized correctly. The psalm that we read for the call to worship this morning was from Psalm 119, which is a psalm really about Scripture. It says, it talks about the law, the Torah, and about how beautiful it is, and about how wonderful it is, and about how beneficial it is. So let's be clear. When we're, what, we're saying, what we're saying today, or at least what we're not saying today, is that somehow Scripture is insufficient. But the way that we treat it is often wrong, right? And we're going to follow the guide of Jesus on this one. And we're going to try and pay attention to how he's reading Scripture, where he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what I see Jesus doing here is very similar to what I see a jazz musician doing when they improv a melody. So I'm going to invite uh, Mikkel. Mikkel with me? Here he comes. Uh, So you all know Mikkel is a very accomplished saxophone player. And so I also play the saxophone. You might not know that, but we're not going to impose that on you today. (laughs) Nope. So, um, but... Learning scripture is a bit like learning your scales. Can you just play me a scale? 
Even that sounds nice, right? But it's not just learning your scales. It's also learning your arpeggios. Did I say that right? Arpeggios, thank you. Right, it's different than a scale. You can tell the difference, I'm sure. Now listen very... I'm sure you, you could, but... I had to be coached at this. You probably couldn't tell. But listen to this. I can tell the difference on this one. This isn't a scale. This is a blues scale. Listen to this. I loved it. No, it sounded good to me, brother. So we have our scales. We have our arpeggios, just like the little cat used to sing in the Aristocats. I know some of you are thinking of that little line, right? And we have like this blues scale. But of course, we also have just a, a straightforward melody. Uh, Plays the song. I know that was beautiful, wasn't it? But once you know a melody, and once you know it really well, then you're free to kind of um, uh, improvise, I guess is the word I'm looking for, right? To improv, to, to, to play kind of around it, right? To, to add to it, to, to, to grow from it. So imp improvise that last song. My friends, that's how a saxophone is supposed to be played, right? You, pl you can play scales on a saxophone. You can play arpeggios on a saxophone. You can even play those cool blues scales on a saxophone. And you can play a song straight on a saxophone. But a saxophone is made, right, for that last bit. So when we come to a gospel like Matthew, it seems to me fairly obvious, but maybe not to you, I'm not sure, that Matthew is presenting Jesus to us as a new Moses, as a better Moses. So, for example, you know, Moses, when he was a baby, was um, protected. There was this mass slaughter of children, right? But he was protected. He was put in a little basket and kind of floated down the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter found him. Jesus, and it's only Matthew that tells us this story, Jesus is also protected from a slaughter of children, right? When Herod the Great had the babies killed in Bethlehem. So as children, they were both protected. Uh, Jesus' family, his, his, his father and his mother, are warned by an angel um, to, to get out of town. And so they go to Egypt, which, of course, is where Moses is from. 
So Jesus comes out of Egypt and Moses comes out of Egypt. As Moses is coming out of Egypt, he's leading the people and the first thing he gets to is the Red Sea. As Jesus, once we see Jesus come out of Egypt in Matthew's gospel, it's the last thing we know about his childhood because the next time we see Jesus, he's an adult and he's going through or into literally the Jordan. So Moses' pass through the Red Sea is kind of parallel with Jesus' through the Jordan. We then see Moses kind of go into the wilderness of the Sinai and then of Judea for 40 years. And we see Jesus immediately after his baptism goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. Moses then has this group of people, the Hebrews, and they're divided amongst 12 tribes. Immediately when Jesus gets back from being in the wilderness for 40 days, he calls 12 disciples. Moses is attributed with writing the Torah, the five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we often associate Moses with five books. The Gospel of Matthew is designed so that there are five sermons of Jesus, right? If you're reading your red letter edition, it's mostly black ink until you get to five, six, and seven. It's all red. Same thing with uh, chapter 10's all red, chapter 13's all red, chapter 18's all red, 24 and 25's all red. Those five sections of Matthew's gospel seem to be an homage, a, a general parallel to the five books of Moses. Moses is always going up on the mountain and he's hearing from God. And then from the mountain, he's speaking for God. And in Matthew's gospel, it seems like Jesus can't hardly do anything without going up a mountain, right? He goes up a mountain and he delivers the Sermon on the Mount, the end of the gospel. He goes up the mountain, he's transfigured, which we'll talk about next week. Um, at the end of the gospel, he goes up on the mountain and he gives us the Great Commission. And it's from there that he ascends, right? So Jesus is like Moses, but Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is not opposed to the law, but Jesus is fulfilling the law. And so when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's not treating the Old Testament, as we call it, as some high standard, but rather he's treating it as a relatively low standard. And I think that's key because I, I grew up kind of hearing that the Old Testament was about law and the New Testament was about grace that the Old Testament was about works and the New Testament was about faith, that the Old Testament was about the Jews and that the New Testament was about the Christians, kind of anti-Semitic and, and kind of anti-Jesus. You realize Jesus is a Jew. <laughs> that, keep that in mind. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And like a lot of good Jewish rabbis, Jesus loved his tradition. But like a lot of good Jewish rabbis, what love is, is not just blind acquiescence, right? What love is, is knowing and growing and moving, right? We serve a living God, a pilgrim God. And we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that next week. We are pilgrims. And so what we find now in the words of Jesus is very similar. We didn't read it to you, but it's very similar to the epistle passage for today from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, he says, he speak, he's a little harsh, but he says, look, we've been giving you milk because you're like a bunch of babies. <laughs> but at some point, you guys are going to have to grow up. You're going to have to get over your little pettiness. Like, I like it this way, 
right? I like it that way. I mean, we used to joke about this all the time, that, that church folks would argue about anything, right? They argue about the color of the carpet. They argue about it being too hot. They argue about it being too cold. They argue about the music being too loud or being too long, right? Um, this, this is a perpetual issue, right? But here's the thing. We got to get over ourselves. It's not exactly about us. It's about God. And it's about what God is doing. And if we learn first that God loves us, it will transfigure us. And then we will become people who not just love God, but who love others. And we'll learn to improvise. One of my, one of my favorite uh, Christian ethicists is a guy named Sam Wells. He has this beautiful book called Improvisation, the uh, drama of Scripture. Now, with, um, again, all due respect to, to narrative, and I love narrative. I love stories. To think of Scripture not just as a story, but to think of it like as a script, as a, as a drama, like these are characters, and they were actually doing things. But that script uh, kind of leads us to a certain point, and then it's somewhat kind of unfinished in this regard. Imagine that we were to find a play of Shakespeare that we didn't know existed, except it was unfinished. So it was intended to be a five-act play, but it was on we only had four acts. There would be debate, of course, as to what to do with it. Should it be studied? Should it be read? Should it be performed? Well, plays are not written simply to be read and studied. Plays are meant to be performed. They're meant to be experienced. They're meant to be seen. So one way we could respect Shakespeare and the work that he did was to find folks who were great Shakespeare actors, Shakespeare scholars and Shakespeare directors, and kind of get that group together and say, hey, we're going to perform this play, and we're going to follow the script up through Act 4, and then we're going to let the main characters kind of improv and see how this thing comes to an end. That kind of improvisation is exactly what I think we are now living in, right? Because it's the same spirit that was on Christ, the same spirit that was on the church. It's the same spirit that leads us. The Spirit, John tells us, will lead us into all truth. We're not simply following the exact motions and words of the things in the past. We aren't simply actors in a script that's already been written. We are living, breathing variations, right, of the new body of Christ, the iteration that now exists of his body. And it's his Spirit that enlivens us. And it's us, good and evil, life and death, as the Deuteronomist tells us, has been set before us, and we have to learn to play. And I think we learn to play well by first staying on book, right? By first learning our scales, and learning our arpeggios, and learning our blues scales, and learning the melody. But once we know those things, it is incumbent upon us to live the way we should live. I think scripture shows us this again and again and again, right? 
and the ways in which it kind of corrects itself. I'm teaching, of course, right now in the book of Acts, and we were recently on the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And so the Ethiopian was a God-fearer, right? He believed in God, and he, he wanted to follow kind of Judaism. But the way Judaism was written, he was excluded because he was a eunuch. And in Deuteronomy 23, it says eunuchs are not allowed in the assembly. Eunuchs must be kept out. And so now he's hearing about Jesus. He's hearing from Philip that Jesus is the one who had been promised, that Jesus has now come and brought life. And he's like, well, if that's the case, then what's preventing me from getting baptized? And Philip's like, well, nothing. And here's some water. And so they baptized him. And we'll baptize you too. We have a baptism coming up soon. If you haven't been baptized, please let us know. Right? So in Deuteronomy 23, it's like no, no eunuchs. Eunuchs can't come in the assembly. But when Philip found the Ethiopian, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And it quotes a bit of Isaiah 53, which is a famous suffering servant passage. By his stripes were healed, you know, our chastisements of our sin is upon him, the, the man of suffering. But within just a few paragraphs, what we now call Isaiah 56, it says this. It says, but for the eunuchs, no longer exclude them. Invite them in. So you see a trajectory, right? You see a place where eunuchs were excluded, a place where there's a promise, right? A theory that we should not exclude. And if you keep reading, you get to the point where you see it practiced that they are included. And a lot of scripture I think is just like that. We can't, we, we stop reading. And when we stop reading, we don't see the trajectory of what God is doing. We're not following the full rhythm of the spirit, right? Our, our improvisations are wrong. Here's another example. Uh, in uh, First Kings, Jehu comes through and uh, he's going to be a godly king. And the prophets, they like him, right? Because he's a godly king, unlike the ungodly king. And he kills Ahab, and he kills Jezebel. He kills a lot of other people, too, really. He's tearing down the strongholds, and he's celebrated. But if you keep reading, eventually you'll get to the prophet Hosea. And Hosea's like, you guys remember Jehu? That guy was violent. He, he, he shouldn't have killed all those people. Well, I thought he was celebrated earlier. And then Hosea himself will talk about what is it like when the day of the Lord comes? And he, and he says, oh, oh, death, where are you? And, and it's a rhetorical question, but the answer is right here. <laughs> oh, grave, where are you? Again, rhetorical question, but the answer is right in front of you, right? That the day of the Lord is such that the death and the grave is, you know, you're about to meet your maker, as we say. But if you keep reading, if you keep reading, the apostle Paul is going to quote Hosea. But when he quotes Hosea, he says exactly the opposite of what Hosea says. Hosea is saying death and the grave are inevitable and they are on you. But Paul knows something Hosea doesn't know. Paul is standing in the light of the resurrection. 
What Paul knows that Hosea couldn't have known is that Jesus has defeated death in the grave. And so Paul will quote Hosea and he'll say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Except now the rhetorical question is, is something else. It's nowhere. It's been defeated. And that's the trajectory, right? To, to play, what, when Mikkel played Amazing Grace that second time, it wasn't discounting the melody. It wasn't saying the melody is old or outdated or no good. It was a way of celebrating it, right? To, to, to add those scales and those arpeggios, right, and those things that he, those extra notes and the syncopation that he was doing is, is to love it, is to grow with it. When Jesus says, you have heard it say, but I say to you, he's not saying what you've heard is bad or what you've heard is no good. He's just saying, if you're going to follow me, we've got more to do. And in every case, what Jesus calls us to do, who Jesus calls us to be, is more than what the Torah had asked for, not less. Again, back to that idea that, you know, the Old Testament is law, the New Testament is grace, the Old Testament is work, the New Testament is faith. That's just wrong. That, that's, a, that's a binary. It's, it's, a, it's a dualism. It's a dichotomy that is just false. The New Testament is full of grace. It is by grace that God chose Abraham. The New Testament is full of faith. We are told that the righteous shall live by faith, right, in Habakkuk. And we're told that Abraham himself was justified by faith, by his faith, right? So this is the story that the, has always been. But the story has, has been, I don't know, it's been messy, it's been muddy, it's been a bit unclear. And it becomes clear in the person and the work of Jesus. And there we can see what this is really like. You have heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, don't hate. You have heard it said, um, don't uh, commit adultery. But I say to you, don't lust. Right? You, you see that Jesus' standard is extraordinarily higher. So it's, so it's, not, it's not that we couldn't have done that. It's that that was set to get us started that would eventually bring us to where we need to be. As Paul would say when he wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says that Christ is the end of the law. Not like the end, like, like it's over, but like the, like the finish line, its goal, its purpose. The reason the law was given was to get us to Christ. And I think we now have to follow Jesus's example and Jesus' example of how we read scripture. That it requires a lot of improvisation. But again, you don't just get up and play like Mikkel's second rendition of Amazing Grace the first time. You got to practice. You have to read your scriptures. You, you have to come to church. You have to fellowship with the saints. You got, to, you got to spend some time in service, right? If you're with people, <laughs> people are messy and they're problematic 
and sometimes they mistreat you, and they're in difficult situations. And it's in the mix, in the midst, and in the mix of all of that, that you'll become like Christ. To be like Christ is to be with people, particularly people who are hurting. That's where our Christ is. And that's where we will find ourselves, right? When we follow Christ. And that, my friends, requires all of this. The very, our, very defi- our very title of our, of our sermon series, Beyond Belief, doesn't mean that belief is somehow bad, <laughs> right? Just like Jesus, you have heard it said, but I say to you, it doesn't mean what was said first was bad. It does mean that there is something more. There's more to be said. There's more to be done. And that's the Christian life. That's our life together. I want to say... Uh, just a few things. We'll put it up here on the screen for you. A few things that we might practice in terms of our beyond belief. So practice the basics. Uh, you can do this through cultivating a prayer practice, regularly praying. You can do this by reading the scriptures, something that you can do. And nowadays, of course, you could listen to the scriptures. That's a good way to do it. If you Lots of good apps out there. The scriptures will be read to you on your commute to work or in the morning when you get up or when you go to bed. And then regularly attend worship gatherings. I realize on that last one, as the old preachers would say, I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you're all here on a Sunday morning. But keep coming, <laughs> right? Keep coming. Because it's as you come, it's as you hear the scriptures read, and as you hear the songs sung, and as you sing them yourselves, as you exchange grace and peace, as you ask for prayer and pray for another, intercede for another, right? As you receive communion, as you fellowship at Sobremesa, right? It's as, as you do those things, you'll find yourself prepared like a good improvisation, like a, like a good improv. You'll be ready in your life at any given moment, right, to live the Christian faith. And I think that's the epiphany that we have. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.